Today, we are starting a new sermon series entitled, Back to Basics, Needs versus Wants. Today's sermon title is, So What's Wrong with Wanting More? And the answer to the question is, absolutely nothing once we define the word more. Now, I want to tell you right up front this, that this sermon may make some of us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. There is an old saying about a minister's role. He or she, he or she is to bring comfort to the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> this sermon is from the teachings of Jesus where he fulfilled the latter role. I want to also say up front that having wealth, even a great deal of wealth, is not a bad thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with hard work and being successful. Nowhere in the Bible is well-earned, well-deserved, financial success condemned. However, the issue that is repeatedly addressed in the Bible is how that success is used. Both scriptural passages for today talk about the use of wealth and possessions. In the second passage, Jesus is preaching and teaching to thousands of people. It was also a very unruly crowd. Suddenly, in the midst of his teaching, a heckler yells out. Now, Jesus deals with this heckler a little differently than some in the political arena of today. Instead of having the heckler thrown out of the meeting, Jesus speaks directly to him. The heckler is complaining about what he might receive through inheritance. Now, Jesus and the heckler knew that under Jewish law, the older brother receives a double portion of the estate, and the rest of the estate is divided between the male and only the male heirs. One has to assume that who's doing the heckling is the younger brother. It is rude and inappropriate to interrupt the teaching of Jesus. But it was appropriate to ask Jesus that question because Jesus was a rabbi, otherwise a teacher. A rabbi could address disputes raised under Jewish law because Jewish law was based on the Hebrew Bible. And rabbis were extremely well versed in the Hebrew Bible. So they were the appropriate people to resolve such disputes. But in this instance, I think an obviously annoyed Jesus said, Who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And then he goes on to teach the heckler and us a very valuable lesson. He first says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Now, when Jesus said that, I'll bet there was a loud gasp among the thousands that were gathered there. For Jesus, with these words, has challenged a fundamental assumption of Jewish society at the time. 
Everyone believed that a person's life was measured by the abundance of his or her possessions. Sound familiar? Because the abundance or possessions were seen to be a, were seen to be a sign of God's favor on their lives. Their reasoning was, if you're right with God, then God will be good to you through bestowing material possessions upon you. Of course, the flip side of that is, if you were separated from God, then the separation would be revealed in your poverty, your illnesses, and all the calamities you would suffer in your life. But Jesus didn't stop by just warning us directly about the dangers of having an abundance of possessions. He then taught further about those dangers by using a parable, his favorite method of teaching. This parable falls under the category of a parable of judgment. Jesus used them to shock his audience, whether it was 2,000 years ago or right here, right now. He wanted people to think about the way they were living, the priorities in their lives. He wants us to think as we hear the parable that maybe, just maybe, it could be about us. That is particularly true on the subject of money and what, can, and what money can buy. It is interesting to note that in the, first, in the first three Gospels, one out of six verses deal with the use or abuse of money. Also, of Jesus' 28 parables, 16 of them deal with our relationship with money and material possessions. The impact of wealth was a problem at the time of Jesus, and I respectfully submit is still a problem today. The parable used by Jesus in response to the heckler and the unruly crowd describes an obviously very rich man who wants more wealth and more possessions. It states at verses 16 through 21, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And then he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will be able to store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. One of the keys to the understanding the parable of Jesus is the way the man describes both how he got his already existing wealth and how he intends to get more wealth. In verses 17 through 19, he uses the word I and my ten times. 
He did not see anyone else as the source of or contributing to his bounty. Only himself. And most importantly, he did not see any role of God in what had transpired for him. He was going to keep it all for himself, even that which he did not need. And for what purpose? To relax, to eat, to drink, and to be merry. His description gets to the heart of the matter. When wealth and having possessions become the reason we exist and go to the core of our being, then what has happened to us? The space within us that is supposed to be occupied by God has been replaced by the desire for wealth and more and more possessions. When we reach that point, we have violated the first of God's Ten Commandments, which states, You shall have no other God before me. In our desires, hopes, and dreams for more money and possessions, we have come to worship them and not God. If God exists at all in our lives, God resides in a subservient role to wealth and possessions. Once God has been replaced by the desire for more and more wealth and possessions, then our own personal worth becomes defined by how much money we have and how many possessions we have. From the message paraphrase version of the Old Testament book of Job at chapter 31, verses 24 through 28, Job makes this observation. Did I set my heart on making big money or worship at the bank? Did I boast about my wealth, show off because I was well off? If so, then I would deserve the worst of punishments, for I would be betraying God. There's an old story that goes with this parable. A pastor was invited to the ranch home of a very wealthy man. After dinner, the host led him up on a hill from which he could see the entire estate. His host tells him, 50 years ago, there was nothing on this land. Everything that is there, I created. Pointing to the oil wells dotting the landscape, he says, everything you see there." Is mine. Looking in the opposite direction, at his miles and miles of grain, he said, That's all mine. Turning the other direction towards herds of cattle, he said, Each one of those is mine. And then finally, turning in the final direction, he pointed to miles and miles of forest and said, Yep, that's all mine too. He paused expecting the pastor to compliment him on his great success. The pastor, however, placing one hand on his shoulder and the other one in the air, pointing towards heaven, said simply, How much do you have in that direction? 
The rancher stared at him for a few minutes, then hung his head and said, you know, I never thought about that. Now, Jesus says God calls the rich man in the parable and would have called the rich rancher in the story fools, fools. These men were fools, not because they have money, but because money had them. Money had stopped serving them and they were serving money. Money had clearly replaced God in their lives. Through the use of this parable, Jesus is telling us that the truly rich person is a person who is rich in God. That means that God is preeminent in our lives. God is first in our lives and more important than anyone or anything else. It means that God is present as our Lord at all times. And in all places, God is in complete control of all that we have and all that we are. It means that we completely and totally love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. No matter how much money you have and no matter how many possessions you may possess, Jesus says that we must be rich in God first. If we are, then our wealth and possessions are blessings from God. We will therefore know that we just have those blessings on loan. Unlike the thinking in the Jewish society at the time of Jesus, we don't own those blessings. A blessing is not something for which we can take credit as if we are part of the cause and effect scheme of things. We have no ultimate claim on our blessings. That we have them at all is a gift of grace that defies rational explanation. Now, why some people are blessed with health, happiness, not to mention wealth, and others are not, is a question that has puzzled kings, prophets, philosophers, and theologians for centuries. It is an eternal mystery and a contemporary quandary. But the blessings that have been entrusted to us are a fact that we cannot escape. Therefore, the blessings we have received from God are to be put at God's disposal. As you have heard me say many, many times, each one of us has received many gifts from God. But the reason we have received those gifts is to use them in God's service. Of course, our present income may not be adequate for present or anticipated financial needs. Some of us may have no income at all. We may may have difficulty putting a roof over our heads or feeding our families. We may have to put kids not only through college, but through graduate school. We may have aging parents to care for. But at some point on a monetary 
continuum. It is possible for some of us to draw a line and say, enough is enough. I can live with this amount. I can meet my responsibilities and fulfill my financial obligations. Everything beyond that figure, whether it be a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, or even a million, is to be used according to the will of the giver of the blessing. And that is God. There was a businessman on vacation at a beach resort. A fisherman was relaxed in the sun and praying to God on his boat when the fisherman approached him. Why aren't you fishing? Because I caught all I needed for my family this morning, said the fisherman politely. But, encountered the businessman, if you went out twice a day, you would catch enough fish to sell a few. Before long, you would make enough money to buy several boats. With a little luck, you could start a fresh seafood business and start shipping fish all over the United States. What would I do then, said the fisherman? Well, then you would make millions. You would retire, get a nice place on the beach, and appreciate the warmth of the sun and the beautiful ocean. To which the fisherman replied, What do you think I'm doing right now? The teaching of Jesus invites us to boldly examine our financial resources and declare at what level enough is enough. When is enough is enough? Jesus is telling us we don't need to place more and more and more of what we have in bigger and better barns in the parable, or savings accounts. There is some level at which many of us can say after serious reflection, I have what I need and thank you, God, for it. Beyond that, we are to determine God's will for any excess. And what is God's will in this situation? In the Old Testament book of Micah, it is clearly stated at chapter 8, 6, He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The question now becomes, have we continued to hold on to wealth or to possessions we really don't need? Or have we used them to do justice, to show kindness, and give God credit for the blessings that we have received? If we have, we are truly rich in God. May we all be rich in God. Amen. Now would you please stand in body or in spirit and join me in reading the affirmation of faith. The world needs all of our power and love and energy 
and each of us has something we can give. The trick is to find it and use it, to find it and give it away, so there will always be more. We can be lights for each other, and through each other's illumination, we will see the way. Each of us is a seed, a silent promise, and it is always be string. Let it be. Amen.